This past offseason, Quinn Hughes made a lot of money with the Vancouver Canucks, and now his brother Jack Hughes is making even more money than him with the New Jersey Devils. We are going to talk about how it affects the team at large. Speaking of teams that were dominant in the 2000s, the Detroit Red Wings were exactly that. Not so much anymore, but Steve Eisman has a plan to make them great again. How is it working so far? Episode 297 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tubuff. And Jack Hughes just got paid. Yeah, he certainly did. I think it's, um, it, this seems to be a big trend in the league where there's a lot more extensions uh, than usual, it feels like. But yes, he, uh, he Jack Hughes just got paid. He also uh, returned on the ice again, so, so there's that as well. Um, but... Um, but yeah, so he he returned. He gets uh, eight point eight, uh, not eight point eight, eight by eight. Excuse me, um, which is uh, pretty good. Um, what's interesting about Jack Hughes is well, this this season so far in the five games that he's played, he has four points. Um, three of those were goals, so he's he's off to a hot start already, and he's twenty years old. Uh, the thing though is that like he was off to a hot start last year, but he kind of dwindled off towards the end. Um, still respectable, 31 points in 56 games. Um, and then his rookie season, he was uh, kind of a disappointment, to say the least. But uh, he still got like 15 minutes of ice time at an, as an 18-year-old, so that's still pretty good. Um, so yeah, he had, uh, he had 21 points in 61 games um, in his rookie year. Um, and, um, I mean, it's a little bit unfair to say... Uh, to compare him to every all the other uh, players who've played since or on in that draft year of 2019, but he does have just because he has played a lot of games and it's really like he's uh, Kako and Doc are the only three, um, including him, who have played more than 100 games from that draft year so far. So it's a little bit unfair to to do that, but at the same time he does lead those um just in terms of career stats he's he's leading that class so far um so it's a little unfair just to say that but um all that to say um he's he's been pretty good um however i don't think he's at the eight million per year for eight more years level just yet um i i think he definitely does he have the potential to be there Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, is it, um, is it like, do I believe that he will do it? Yes. Um, but at the moment, it's a huge risk on the devil's standpoint because um, there's a potential that he might not be worth it. Um, we'll get into the devil's cap situation. So, but um, just in terms of general thoughts, I, I do think that this is worth it um, from that standpoint. I think long term it'll be worth it as well. I also feel like the uh, after the Kakanyemi offer sheet, yep. I feel like a lot of teams are just like we can't have that happen, and the right. Habs did that with Nick Suzuki, and uh, we we've seen it with uh, other um, pending restricted free agents. I think Joel Farabee in Philadelphia was another one in the offseason. The Flyers were like, yeah, we're gonna get this done real quick, so we don't have to worry about it. And now the Devils are doing the same uh, with Jack Hughes as well. Uh, you look at his rookie numbers, 21 points in 61 games, 7 goals, uh, 4 goals and 5 assists for 9 points on the power play, though. So um, he was starting to get acquainted in the special teams department. He was actually averaging 3 minutes, 11 seconds of power play time as a rookie, uh, which might tell you about uh, where the Devils' offense revolves around. Um, and, you know, for a rookie getting a lot of power play time uh, as a rookie, that, that definitely speaks a lot. And he only averaged 15.52 of ice time per game, which, which uh, further tells the story. 
Now, obviously, the pandemic uh, shortened the season, but if he played a full 82 games, he only gets a 28-point pace. 165 shots on goal over that uh, same 82-game stretch if he plays it. So all in all, a pretty good first impression. Then you start to see the fruits of the labor pay off a little bit. He finishes with 11 goals, 20 assists for 31 points in 56 games. That was last year. So in a normal year, that's a 45-point pace. Finishes with 142 shots. That's uh, 21 more shots, uh, or 19 more shots uh, than uh, his rookie season. And just uh, doing uh, some quick math here. Divide 142 by 56, then times that by a full 82 games. That's 207, 208 shots uh, over a full 82 games. So again, the shots on goals going up there. Finishes with seven power play points. Uh, getting a little bit uh, more experience uh, in the faceoff dot as well. And he's averaging 19 minutes uh, per game by that point, and his power play totals start to go down. So you kind of get to see Jack Hughes being utilized in more of the everyday situations that an NHL player typically sees. Now, I know he's only played five games this year, but those five games have worked out pretty well because he has three goals and one assist and just seven shots, which means his shooting percentage is 42.9. Yeah. <laughs> like, definitely that's, sustainable. That's crazy. Yep. Yeah, it's definitely not sustainable. But, like, if you can get it to, like, that 15% range, I mean, that's pretty darn good if you're yep. the New Jersey Devils. Um, only average 15-15 per game uh, of ice time, a minute 25 in the power play, so that's why he has no power play points yet. Um, I I really think just based on the vibes that I'm getting from Jack Hughes, the lead-up to his return to the lineup, the contract extension that he signed, you can tell this guy is motivated to really make a difference. And you look at the New Jersey Devils and what some of their players have done without him in the lineup, you're looking at a pretty solid foundation of a, kind of a sleeper offense, if you will, and once that finally wakes up and it's at full strength, Devils could be good and relevant in the NHL again sooner than people think. Yeah, the the thing that's interesting, I guess uh, we're going to go into uh, the Devils cap situation. Um, they have three long-term contracts right now. One's to Nico Heischer, one's to Jack Hughes, and then one's to Dougie Hamilton. Um and, and all three of those guys are definitely worth that much money. Uh, Nico Heischer is having kind of a career year right now. So um, so that's certainly uh, looking uh, good for, for them right now. And Dougie Hamilton's been, been pretty good too, um, obviously. So, um, so they're in good shape just from like they don't have like any player that's on a long-term contract that shouldn't be there. Um, What's interesting, though, is uh, Andreas Janssen, Jesper Bratt, and Dawson Mercer um, have been, like, a formidable um, line when Jack Hughes was gone. And I am curious what's, like, because, like, I think all three of them are doing really, really well together. They have great chemistry together. Um, what's interesting, though, is that, like, now they're kind of moved to the third line because then you have Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer as the you know the top two centers, so I am kind of curious to see how that plays out because their chemistry has been so good uh, together, and yet uh, they're now like kind of demoted just because Jack Hughes is back in the lineup. Um, so so I, I am curious to see that. Um, what is interesting though is that like you know maybe that line will eventually. Um, you know, uh, uh, be in the top six or something like that, or or maybe you move Jack Hughes to a wing uh, from Heischer or something like that. There, I guess there are strategies to make that work. But um, all in all, the Devils are all of a sudden like they have a a lot of good forwards all of a sudden. Um, so I I am uh, there is some other interesting like free agents though. Uh, P.K. Subban, who I'm interested in, he's going to be, he's making $9 million right now, but he's a UFA uh, next year. But with the addition of Dougie Hamilton and Ryan Graves this year, you know, P.K. Subban doesn't do a whole lot now. Um, and, you know, he hasn't been as good as uh, he was a couple of years ago 
um, for a while now. So I, I am curious to see what they do with that, but it is kind of short term for them. Uh, Jimmy Vesey's a UFA, uh, Bogfist, Jesper Bogfist, Zaka, and Jesper Bratt are all RFAs. Um, I have a feeling Bratt's going to be uh, due for a huge payday, though, because uh, he's he's been looking really, really good um, this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm just interested to see how they um, they manage their cap situation because I guess when you look at their team, it, it does seem like, um, like you know, I, I think it's good that they have a lot of short-term contracts. Um but on the other hand, it's like now that Dawson Mercer's been pretty good, uh, Bratt's been pretty good, and um, Janssen, um, like once their payday comes in a one, two, or three years, um, then it, it's, it's going to be a little bit trickier. Um, and also, I guess, all three of them have to prove that they can be consistent for more than one season or one month of uh, playing good hockey. Yeah, and I think the rest of the season is definitely going to tell us um, a bigger picture of the story. Yeah. But what Brat and Janssen have been able to do, it's incredible. Like, Janssen averages just a shed under 15 minutes per game, only 39 shots, but he scored on nine of those 39 shots, and he has 18 points in 22 games. Also important to note, only a single power play point, and he's a plus 10. Yep. So uh, the fact that he's getting the most out of those um, those minor minutes, I would call it, uh, is quite something. Jesper Bradley in the team with 19 points. Um, he has 65 shots and averages 16-13 per game. So not, not uh, the average ice time you would normally see out of, um, you know, a top 50 forward in the NHL. And he only has two power play points, zero power play goals to his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, two of his uh, six goals have actually turned out to be game winners, so he's got a bit of the clutch gene going as well. Uh, Dougie Hamilton has really impressed me as well. 15 points in 19 games. Uh, you're talking about a right-handed shot, which P.K. Subban is. I think uh, Hamilton has made Subban expectable for that reason, and I highly doubt he's back in New Jersey for that exact reason. Also, 77 shots by Dougie Hamilton. That leads the team, and he averages 22 minutes per yep. game. And only four power play points, too. As, as you might know, the Devils aren't known for power play success, I guess. But um, the devil, I guess, is in the details there. He sure have liked his game. Dawson Mercer, you mentioned, one of uh, probably the most underrated rookies. Uh, it doesn't show it in the numbers this year because um, – his goal totals are down. His points are down. But if Igor Sharangovich gets going, I I love this dude. Oh, yeah. Like th- this dude has got some pep in his step. He's got some game in a couple of years. He's going to be an RFA, and I think he's one of the Devils' most promising uh, young forwards. And Pavel Zaka is another name to keep in mind too. Mm-hmm. With 13 points in 22 games, he's also got eight goals on 53 shots. Um, and he's playing 18 minutes a game as well. He's one of those guys that we've been waiting to break out in the Devils system, and he might be on the verge of doing that this year. Is he going to get an 8 by 8 like Jack Hughes? Absolutely not. But I can definitely see him getting upwards of 4 or $5 million per season uh, at, at the rate that he's going. Yep. Uh, you also have Thomas Tatar uh, playing like a top 9 role. I wouldn't even say a top 6 role. And he's put forth uh, 12 points in 22 games. He's been pretty good, too. There's there's a lot to like uh, about the Devils um, for, for the short term and for the long term. I'm also interested uh, to see how, um, how they manage the cap in terms of their goaltending. Because in two years' time, Mackenzie Blackwood is an RFA. He's making $2.8 million per season. And Jonathan Bernier... Um, after the end of this season, we'll have a year left on his deal, and uh, he's getting paid $4.125 million at the moment. So both of them are going to need new contracts at the exact same time in 2023. So how they're uh, going to spread the starts in goaltending is going to be interesting. How, how their goaltending looks is going to be key. I think Blackwood is probably going to be the primary guy unless something drastic happens. But... Um, yeah, you, you never, never say never. 
Um, there's there, there's a lot of hidden potential there in New Jersey, and I'm excited to see what becomes of it. Yeah, uh, I, I do want to highlight that. Uh, I know I've talked about Dawson Mercer a lot, but I do want to highlight that what he's been able to do is is pretty much incredible. Uh, he has 16 minutes of ice time, or, and as I mentioned, he is on the same line as Brat and Johansson, who have been really, or Johnson, who have been really good. But the, the difference is, is Brat and Johnson have been in the league for a couple of years now. This is, uh, Dawson Mercer is 20 years old, and this is his, like, first stint in the NHL. He was actually, like, called up uh, once Jack Hughes got injured, and, you know, you were kind of thinking, like, okay, he'll probably get called down eventually once Jack Hughes, uh, you know, is ready and healthy, and also, like, um, you know, maybe, like, Mercer just plays those nine games. Um, but, like, this is the this is the team, or the Devils, uh, when they drafted him in the 2020 draft, they first selected uh, Alex Holtz, um, and you know people had thought that Alex Holtz was actually going to be the guy, um, and then they drafted Dawson Mercer, I think in the late teens, or maybe it was the early teens, and you know people yeah, had he, uh, taking a look actually at 18th overall in 2020. Oh, 18th overall. By the way. That was one of the two uh, picks they got from Arizona in the Taylor Hall trade. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a good point, too. Um, yeah, good call. 18th pick. And then I guess the other one was Shakir Mukama Dillon or uh, Dalit or whatever. Shakir Mukama Dillon. Uh, okay, I was so close. I was, it was better than me. Um, yeah, <laughs> in, the middle of saying, in the middle of saying that, it's just like I shouldn't have tried <laughs> to, to say that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but anyways, um, yeah. So, uh, but like, it's it's just impressive that the that he like he looks like a seasoned pro when he like these are his first twenty two games in the league. So I, I do want to shout him out. Um, and then we're gonna talk about um, now we're gonna talk about uh, another person who speaking of looking like they're seasoned pros. Um, this is a guy uh, who was drafted in the same year as Dawson Mercer, uh, Lucas Raymond, um, who, uh, uh, so we're now going to talk about Detroit. Uh, he has 22 points in 25 uh, games. Uh, he leads, uh, needless to say, he leads the league, uh, the league in rookie scoring, um, and that's pretty good. The next closest is Trevor Zegras, who has 19 points in 23 games, which is pretty impressive as well, but... Uh, more impressive for Lucas Raymond. Um, the thing that's... And then uh, Mort Sider, who's also on the same team, um, has uh, 17 points in 25 games. Um, as the thing that's interesting about Lucas Raymond, from my standpoint, is when, when he was, like, when like during that draft, I had thought that he was going to be more of, like, a Jonathan Huberdeau-type player, someone who just has a lot of assists, doesn't really shoot a whole lot, um, but, like, you know, he his bigger, he's more of a playmaker than he is a scorer. And uh, what's impressive is the fact that he has 10 goals um, so far, which I believe leads, yeah, uh, by far leads the rookie scoring in goals because the next closest is Jonathan Dolan. Um, who we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, so it, it's just, uh, it's interesting that he's been able, like he's a 19-year-old, uh, not a 20-year-old like Dawson Mercer is, 19-year-old, and he's, uh, he, it looks like he is a seasoned pro. Um, the re okay, so now that I'm looking at elite prospects, the reason why I thought that he wasn't much of a scorer is that in the SHL, he had six goals and 12 assists, so that's 18 points in 34 games. Of course, it's always skewed when you take into account the Swedish Hockey League, um, and you don't really score that much. But like, that didn't really indicate to me that he scores a lot um, or or has that goal threat. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like so far that uh, he's he's um, he can score um, with 10 goals in 25 games so far. Um, so that's not too shabby. Um, what else do you have on this Lucas Raymond guy? So, when I when I look at uh, Lucas Raymond, I think it's very important to and 
bear, bear with me on this because I'm, I'm going to take you on a bit of a trip before I get to the link here. I don't know if anyone's noticed, but Detroit has been pretty bad the past couple of years. Since 2016-17, when they moved out of Joe Louis Arena, yeah. they haven't really been that good. Um, and it's important to showcase through the record. It, it didn't really start to, to show in terms of their home record, their away record. They were like teetering below 500, but they weren't outrageously bad. They were nine games below 500 in 1617. Um, or sorry, just three games below 500 in 1617. Nine games below the following year in 1718. Eight games below the year after that. And then the 12 or the 18 wheeler at the euphemism from the Leafs, the 18 wheeler really fell off the cliff in 2019 20 when they went 17 49 and five. They had 12 wins at home, five wins on the road. Their road record was just absolutely outrageous. Um, you, you name any stat on that 2019 20 Red Wings team, and it's probably deep in the negatives, not good at all. And they were less bad last year. They were uh, eight games below 500. But now all of a sudden, they're 13-9-3. They're like 8-2-2, 9-2-2 at home. Uh, so they're getting better in that department. Uh, they're, I think, 7-2-2 when they score first, uh, which has been better than some of their previous seasons. What's interesting is the goals for goals against hasn't really changed all that much. It's a negative nine differential, 66 goals for the average 28.9 shots per game, which is near the bottom 10, I would say. Um, they've given up 75 goals uh, while averaging 33.7 shots against per game. I would imagine that's near the top 10 of the league, which is not where you want to be. We can talk about goal differentials and their records when they've been um, out shooting teams, when they've outshot teams. We can talk about their power play and their penalty kill. I think we all know where that uh, direction is going. The one thing that I really was curious to look at was the leading scores on some of those Red Wings teams. Because when you have that little success, I would imagine the points leaders have mm -hmm. a rough time doing much of anything. So looking at 2016-17, here's how far back we're looking. Oh, look who it is. Henrik Zetterberg leading the team in points with 68 in 82 games. Near 200 shot season. This was towards the end of his career. Very sad to see. Uh, but that was the leading score of the Red Wings. You also had Nyquist, who had 48 points. Tatar had 46 points that year. Uh, Franz Nielsen had 41 points. There's a name. And then... That's basically anyone who had uh, more than 40 points for the Red Wings that year. You go to 2017-18, Dylan Larkin's leading score now uh, was 63-82. Henrik Zedberg's still around, but uh, he only has 56 points this time. You have Mantha with 48 points, Nyquist with 40 points, and that's about it in terms of 40-point scores. 2018-19, you're slowly starting to get to the point where they're not a good team at all, but Dylan Larkin's not playing like it. He has 73 points in 76 games. Athanasiu had 30 goals and 54 points that year. Man, very good year. Also had a plus, uh, a sh um, he had a sh um, 200 plus shots on goal, if I can speak proper English. Uh, Larkin actually had 287 to lead the team, so his early years in Detroit were pretty good. You had Nyquist, Mantha, and Bertuzzi getting at around the neighborhood of 45 to 50 points, but outside of that, uh, that's all you were getting, and they weren't keeping the puck out of the net, so that was also their downfall. Then the monster regression shows up in 2019-20. Larkin is a minus 21. He still puts 200-plus shots on the board, only a 53-point season in 71 games. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi had a pretty decent season, 48 points. And uh, Anthony Mantha didn't get uh, 40 points that year, but he got 38 in 43 games, which I think is pretty impressive. And Robbie Fabry also had uh, 31 points in 52 games, which wasn't that bad. But you start to get to the meat and potatoes of Detroit struggles at this point. And especially when you look at their goals against. Their goals against was terrible, just terrible. 
Uh, last year, their leading scorer was actually not Dylan Larkin. It was a defenseman, Philip Aronik, with 26 points in 56 games. Uh, Dylan Larkin was not far behind with 23 and 44. Anthony Mantha had 21 and 42, but he was traded to Washington, as we all know. And then the only other scorer to get at least 20 points was Adam Ernie, who had 11 goals and 20 points in 45 games. Fast forward to this year. And you start to see why the Red Wings are getting back to their winning ways. Lucas Raymond is near a point-per-game pace with 22 and 25. Dylan Larkin has found his game again. He's 20. He has uh, 10 goals and 21 points in 21 games. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi has 9 goals and 18 points in 20 games. Um, Ward Sider, who we're going to talk about. Uh, in a little bit, uh, as uh, factored in the offense as well. Vlaslav Nemesnikov, given the fact that he's more of a bottom six forward, the fact that he's averaging less than 15 minutes a game, but he still has 13 points in 25 games, I thought I call that punching above your weight, so that's pretty good there. Uh, you have 12 points in 23 games from Philip Baronic. Pius Suter's 12 points in 25 games. And you've got uh, some other secondary scoring to balancing things out. Imagine what happens when you get Philip Sedina uh, going. We've been waiting a while for that to happen, right. but I still think it could. You're, you're starting to see Detroit not good again, but making their way to that level where they're going to be playoff contenders again. And that's something we haven't seen in an awful long time. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> so you kind of jumped ahead uh, questions of are the Red Wings back uh, but do you have anything else that wasn't already said about Lucas Raymond um, yes in the sense that he reminds me an awful lot of Elias Peterson okay. when he arrived in Vancouver yeah that's a fair comparison there was just there, he, he just has this aura about him where like everything changes mm. this isn't the same Red Wings team that you played against a year or two ago and he's just given another dimension um, in terms of the way that he can alter the outcome of a game. And it's interesting because they brought Bobby Ryan in on a professional tryout, and I think one of the reasons why they didn't sign him to a contract is because they thought Lucas Raymond was ready to play pro yep. and possibly be an impact player for the entire season. And so far, he's been exactly that. Yeah. Um, so Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I, I think it's interesting, too, and in, in you had mentioned this off the show, uh, like when the Red Wings had the, the fourth overall pick um, in this draft, um, yeah, obviously uh, Lafreniere was off the boards and um, and uh, Byfield were off the boards, but it was kind of a sh surprising pick. I mean, we'll we'll get into uh, the the actual surprising pick of Mort Sider. In a little for, bit. For fourth overall, it was but for kind fourth of, overall, not, it was not kind a of reach, a, but it was a bold move considering yeah. what the, how much good talent was up there. But like it, it did remind me, uh, and you just mentioned Elias P Peterson, but it did remind me that like you know people were thought that Elias Pedersen was a reach when he was drafted um, in the top mm -hmm. ten as well, um, and and you know they have kind of a similar career path because he also went to the SHL as well. Although I think Pedersen had a better um, uh, draft plus one year, but um, but yeah, it is kind of interesting because it was kind of a bit of a shock uh, because they could have taken Jake Sanderson, they could have taken Jamie Drysdale, they could have taken Alex Holtz, uh, Marco Rossi, uh, Askarov, Perfetti. Um, yeah, I'm gonna skip Jack Quinn, but yes, they could have taken him too. Uh, but I don't know if you said Jake Sanderson, but if I, I did say Jake. Yeah, I, I did say Jake Sanderson. I did. Um, <laughs> but like, like there was a couple of other ones, and you know, it's not to say that Lucas Raymond isn't terrible or anything like that. But it is yeah. interesting just from that standpoint of like, oh wow, it's like they could have taken a lot of these guys that that um, were more heralded at the time. Um, and, um, especially, uh, Alex Holtz, uh, but, um, but yeah, it, it, it's kind of cool. Um, so speaking of which, uh, <laughs> this is even more of a shot. This was even more of a shots when the Red Wings drafted this guy, Mort Sider in the 2019 mm -hmm. draft, they drafted him six, um, and they couldn't, you know, so Jack Hughes, Kako, Doc, 
Byram and Alex Turcott were already drafted. However, uh, Dylan Cousins was still on the board. Zegris was still on the board. Pod Colson was still on the board. Spencer Knight. Cole Caulfield was still on the board. Alex Newhook. Um, there's a couple of other ones who were like, they probably should have gone in the top 10. And, you know, I'm not even saying that Zegris and Caulfield and uh, Cousins aren't as, are, are like, we're worse off than Cider because so far all three of them have shown that they've they're pretty good, like especially Zegris and uh, Spencer Knight, but um, but at the same time, Mort Cider has in his uh, first year in the league, um, he's been pretty good. Uh, Twenty, uh, he has uh, so far he has seventeen points in twenty five games. Um, I think there was when he was drafted, there was some concern about if he could actually score in the NHL or just make some points. But then, like, uh, directly after that, because he had, like, six points in 29 games in the German league, um, which is, you know, pretty good when you consider that's a professional hockey league. Um, And then he goes to the AHL for the Grand Rapid Griffins in 2019-20 season. Uh, So I guess that's the year after he was drafted. Uh, That's uh, And he has 22 points in 49 games. Um, and then, uh, I guess in the lockout, or not the lockout year, the, um, the COVID, uh, bubble year, um, he, uh, where there's like four different divisions and they're only playing against each other. Uh, yeah, he doesn't go to the AHL at all. Um, and instead plays in the Swedish hockey league where he has 28 points in 41 games. Um, he also, uh, I, oh, wait, never mind. That's the world championships. Um, so it's like ever since after he was drafted, he also gets, um, you know, he, he, he gets that push where he is producing all those points. And I think like that was the scouting report is that like the defense and the, um, and the hockey sense was all there. It was just like getting that offensive potential and people thought like that, that he was drafted too high. Um, and that, you know, it's still pretty early. Um, so like that could still happen where like they should have drafted Zegers, they should have drafted Caulfield and, and all that stuff. But still at the, at the same time, he's fourth in rookie scoring right now, um, with, uh, 17 points. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's very impressive to do for a rookie defenseman at that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think he's still going to be a, a very good defenseman, um, and all that stuff, but it, like, kudos to Steve Yeiserman for drafting Cider when, um, there was, like, a lot of other players that they could have taken at that spot, um, instead, and it may have, you know, uh, it may have been good for them, but, um, but yeah, it's, it takes a bold move because like cider is pretty good. Um, and, uh, he's showing it right now. I think we're starting to see why Tampa built their dynasty so quickly. Yep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> bold picks like that. Um, Braden point, probably the biggest one there. Um, and, and no secret, um, that he's not afraid to, to go for the big swing, to go for the long ball. And I, I, I was just like, you know what? Forget the rookie scoring. I want to see where Moritz Sider ranks amongst NHL defensemen. Yep. Forget rookies, forget rookie defensemen, NHL defensemen. In terms of shots on goal, he's 51st, so just outside the top 50 there. In terms of points, there are, I believe, I believe he's 11th uh, in NHL scoring by defensemen. Yes, he is. 17 points in 25 games. That puts him at 11th place. Here are the guys ahead of him. Adam Fox, who is eight points clear of Cider. Then it goes John Carlson, Victor Hedman, Aaron Eckblad, Roman Yossi, Seth Jones, Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, Tony D'Angelo, Morgan Riley. There are a handful of guys off of the list that I just mentioned that have won Norris trophies in their career so far. And Ward Cider is hanging right there with him. And right behind him, a shocker to me, is Alex Goligoski with 16 points. That's something. But you're looking at a guy, uh, in comparison to Sider and Goligoski, Goligoski has been in this league for longer and is 
not even getting 20 minutes of ice time per game. This young kid is averaging 22 minutes and 32 seconds per game, which if you put it in terms of NHL ice time per game with um, NHL defensemen, he's 41st. For a rookie to be ranked that high around the likes of Jacob Truba and Ryan Suter has been a minutes cruncher for many, many years. Shea Theodore, Ryan Ellis also ahead of him. That that definitely uh, speaks a lot of volumes uh, in, in that regard, too. The fact that he's getting these chances to succeed with the Red Wings at such a young age and just hanging around with some of the superior peers of his craft. Not too many rookies can do what Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider are doing right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of remarkable. I don't know if I'm trying to think of like when was the last time like these two team like a uh, two teammates have been like um, this good um, or like you know this tight where it's like the Calder finalist is between two teammates. I guess like the Sedins. I think Marner and Matthews were the same year or mm-hmm. when they were in the yeah. league. So that's probably the closest. Um, I mean, I'm sure I, <laughs> I'm sure eventually we can figure this out, but. Um, but yeah, it, it is definitely exciting. Um, you kind of the recency bias, I think we're on the right track right. here. Yeah. Marner and Matthews for 2016, 17, uh, for sure. And I would imagine. I think Nylander was, wasn't Nylander also that Nylander also came, came into the league at that time too, right? Um, I think Nylander, uh, he was used sparingly in 2015, oh, okay. 16 when the Leafs were not that good. So he really was count. there before Marner's and Matthews. Marners and Marners, that's that's a uh, that's wow. It's a that's tongue a twister. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Marner and Matthews. He was there before Marner and Matthews arrived, but not by much. But right, he was there right. okay. There. I thought I thought he was considered a rookie in 2016. Yeah, I remember vaguely Nealander actually doing pretty well in yep. down the stretch in that awful season too. Right. Um, I mean, it is pretty similar too because like. Uh, well, I guess it, it wasn't. I was going to say it would have been similar if Raymond was in the league last year when he was drafted and then Cider also came into the league at the same time. But um, mm-hmm. because, like, they were uh, Matthews and Marner were uh, that was Matthews' draft year and um, Marner's uh, draft plus one year. Um, anyways, I also uh, I was curious because the Red Wings. It's clear that they know how to draft, especially the first uh, rounds um, in the first round. Um, and I think we were saying the same thing for Simon Edvidson. So I was just curious to see um, how he was doing now. Um, so he's a Swedish defenseman. So he is kind of a combination of both Sider and Raymond because he's Swedish and a defenseman. But um, but he, he's, he has 11 points in 22 games. Uh um, in the Swedish Hockey League so far. Um, so it's like, I think that was another question mark with uh, with Edvidsson that we had with Sider, where it's like uh, um, Edvidsson didn't really score a whole lot when he was um, uh, in the last year, and all the defensive stuff was already there. Uh, it's just like getting that offensive opportunity there. But like 11 points in 22 games, yeah, that's not great but it's also not terrible at the same time so um especially in the swedish hockey league when he's uh 18 years old so it looks like simon Edvinson might be um might be a good pick for them surprise surprise i also want to while we're talking about first round picks highlight sebastian casa uh who is the main goaltender for the whl's oh, yeah, uh, he was drafted, uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, I think Detroit traded three picks to Dallas just to move up 15th overall to get this guy. And, man, it's looking like a wise investment for Eiserman, like most investments seem to be. He's third in the league in shots faced over 20 games played with 591. In terms of saves, he is third as well with 546 has two shutouts on top of that, and his record is 14-3-3 on the season. And he's also put up pretty solid numbers with the Oil Kings in the previous two seasons, too. So he could be a nice find for them as well. 
Yeah, I, I forgot that they also had another first-round pick that year, too, so that, that's pretty good. Uh, the Red Wings are 13-9-3 with 29 points. That puts them fourth in the Atlantic Division. Um, and, yeah, you, you kind of ran around all the stats that they have. Like, Lucas Raymond is leading their team in points with 22 um, in 25 games. And you have Dylan Larkin, who has 21 points in 21 games. What's also crazy about this Red Wings team is that they don't even have Jacob Verana, um, who's still in LTIR. Uh, That's right. So uh, they still have that. Um, and then uh, Alex Nedeljkovic um, has been really, really good too. He has nine a 920 save percentage and a 2.6 GAA. He's 8-3-3. Three, three. Uh, he also just shut out the Bruins this past week. Um, so... Uh, so it's fresher in my mind. I'm like, oh, what? Like that was a great trade uh, by Yzerman as well, because it's like, uh, I don't know why Carolina uh, didn't uh, uh, decided to trade him away. I mean, they they are doing pretty well with Frederick Anderson, but um, <laughs> it is it is kind of crazy that they could have still kept Nizelkovich because he um, he was pretty good even last year. Um, but uh, what's interesting, so. Are the Red Wings back? I, I don't think that they're, like, back to the Yzerman lindstrom days, obviously. Um, they'll never be back to those days because that, that team was – that's probably the best team that we'll ever see um, in our lifetime. But I do think that the Red Wings could make the playoffs um, this year. So I think the Red Wings are back asterisk. <laughs> I think the asterisk goes depends on how the metro teams do because yeah. I, I I don't know I because see I don't think they're better than Tampa I don't think they're better than Florida I don't think they're better than Toronto and it could be a coin flip between Boston and Detroit, right. and then you've got all those other wildcard teams, as we said before. That's going to be a dogfight for those two wildcard spots, so I don't know if they're ready just yet, and we'll talk about the importance of Alex Nadalkovich uh, later on. But when you look at the fact that they rely on their offense to disguise some of their weaknesses on defense, I still think that's going to work against them. I definitely think... They're putting up more of a fight than they ever have in the past four, five, six years, which uh, to me is an improvement. Uh, the shot differential is not where it needs to be. When you take a look at their special teams uh, this year, it's, uh, oh, their power play's 26 overall still right. um, at 14.9%. Their penalty kill's just over 75%. That puts them 26 in the league again. Uh, so the special teams isn't where it needs to be. I think good starts are going to be important for Detroit. If they can get the leg up on, on teams and be able to withstand the momentum shifts, I think that could go a long way. And that's often what I look for in a young team like Detroit, like Ottawa is another example, um, down the road, Arizona and Buffalo is other examples I look at those young teams and I say okay how do they react when the chips are down how do they react when the other team scores like two quick goals in succession what's their response mm -hmm. or how do they try to get a leg up on teams early in games that's mostly the characteristics that define good teams from great teams from elite teams and if they can start to master that craft, which I think will take a couple of years, this team's going to be scary good, scary quick. And that's great for the people of Michigan, for the city of Detroit, and for Steve Eiserman because it shows that his plan is working. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is funny because I was, I said that, yeah, I think they could make the playoffs, and I agree with you, they're not as good as Tampa is, they're not as good as Florida is. They're not as good as Toronto is, but they also have Buffalo in the division. They have Montreal in the division, and they have Ottawa yeah. in the division. And the they Bruins, um, as, as much as I love them, obviously I love them, uh, they're a flawed team. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're missing uh, David Krejci 
badly. Um, and uh, who knows what's going on with Linus Ulmark. Uh, hopefully, Tuka Rask can come back, but if he does come back, then it's like, um, who knows uh, if he can be in, in tip-top shape. Um, so so there's, there's that to worry about. There's a bunch of question marks for the Bruins, too. Um, and I, I do hear what you're saying, that like in the Metro Division, um, there's a lot of good teams in the Metro Division, um, like the, the Capitals, the Rangers, the Hurricanes, even like the Penguins, the Devils now that we just talked about, the Islanders can make a run as well. Um, and, and maybe the Flyers can, can have a spark. And I guess, I guess I'm just listing all the teams there. Columbus as well is, is pretty good too. Uh, so, so the, there, there's like that area, but... I, I do think, and, and I guess also keep in mind that, like, Boston has five, uh, four games in hand from Detroit, um, but the Detroit is winning, um, has 29 points, whereas Boston currently has 25 points. So they're, they're up by four points uh, with uh, four games in hand, or not in hand. <laughs> um, I don't know what the reverse of in hand is. Um, but so so there is, like, you know, theoretically speaking, Boston could make up those games and and be in fourth place from from Detroit. Um, but I I do think that Detroit will uh, provide issues for the Bruins, and like I wouldn't be shocked if the Bruins just missed the playoffs um, because At Detroit is time, is that good. While while you're talking about um, characteristics of a hockey team. There was this one sequence against the Florida Panthers, and I'm shocked it took me a solid week or two before I first came across it. But th- uh, And I think I forwarded it to you in an email chain, Brett, where they're playing against Florida. Florida has basically got Detroit hemmed <laughs> into their zone. Yep. They're broken sticks getting in the way of Detroit's ability to clear the pockets. It's absolute madness. Nadelkovic has to make a couple of mad saves to keep the puck out. I think it was Robbie Fabry or Adam Ernie was one of the two that laid out and made like at least two shot blocks, but everyone was just helping to make sure that puck didn't go in the Detroit net, blocking shots, making saves, doing whatever you had to do to withstand that Florida Panthers search. And that to me spoke a lot of volumes as to where the team is at right now. This isn't the team that we saw a couple of years ago. It's a totally different group. Yeah. And they're playing under the same coach, Jeff Blaschel. That's that's the weird thing about this is the yeah. coaching hasn't changed. That's a good point. I think like Detroit is playing the way that Pete, that uh, Pierre Dorian wants thought that the Ottawa Senators was going to play this year. <laughs> like just like yeah. they might they might make the playoffs, but even if they don't, it was a great season. So um so it's like, you know, they're they're kind of in that rebuild where they could get a, like a top ten pick if they really, really wanted to. It would make their team that much stronger. But at the same token, it's like they could also make the playoffs and, and get a lot of these young guys their first taste in the league and um, so that, that's definitely like an interesting thing for sure. Um, so the, and, up- and eight to go off topic for a little bit, but I wonder if the scenario around the Detroit Red Wings has something to do with that. And what I mean by that is the Ottawa centers are trying to find a place to call home for the future. Detroit already has that built. They have little Caesars arena. Yep. They have Steve Eisman as a GM. They trust the plan that they have. They have faith in ownership. And I feel like when there's less question marks off the ice, when there's less distractions, you can just go out and play. Yep. And I think the Red Wings are just flat out playing hockey. They're doing what they love to do, and it and it shows. It shows in the effort that they give every single night. Well, I, again, I hate to go off topic, but you did, you did start it. Uh, but I, I think yeah. from the Ottawa standpoint, I think there are, like, you know, they started to play better now uh, this past week. Um, yeah. And also, like, I don't know if there's, like, too much distractions. I guess you could make the case for, like, Arizona with their impending move to uh, Houston. That's definitely a distraction. 
Um, but they were bad even before all this stuff. So it's, uh, so I don't know if it's necessarily like a distraction and that's why Detroit is playing well as opposed to like Ottawa or Arizona is. But I, I think they're... I'm just saying it certainly helps Detroit to oh, yeah. know that you have a long-term arena to play in. You have a GM whose vision, whose plan you can yeah. trust and you just go and play. Yeah, that, that I was about to get to. Yeah, I think there is something where it's like, you, you know that Stevie Eiserman is a genius um, as opposed to Dorian or whoever the Arizona GM is. And, you know, like, and, and the Red Wings have had sustained success in their history. Um, and uh, compared to the Senators or the Coyotes who haven't even won a cup um, in their franchise history. So that, that, that probably plays a factor to it, but, um, but I, 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 I don't know if it's necessarily like um, the reason why they're good all of a sudden. Um, I just hope that what holds them back is teams not willing to make trades with Iserman because yeah. he's grown a tendency to basically win every trade. Oh yeah, he pretty much wins every single trade. <laughs> like yeah, we, we just talked about the Mantha for Verona trade and Verona hasn't even played yet. So we haven't even talked about their secret weapon that uh, could yeah. help them out. Um, so the last question we have here, and I, I did touch on Nedeljkovic's st- statistics here, uh, but for some reason, he even though he played a lot of games last year, uh, he's considered a rookie still. So he could he could win the Calder theoretically speaking. Um, so if you add Raymond, who's probably a lock at this point to get a Calder nomination at this point, I mean he may. N- he may not win it, but he's certainly a lock. Then you uh, count in uh, Sider, um, and then you count in Nedeljkovic, who has who's been like a starting goaltender for the Red Wings now, a nine twenty save percentage and a two point six GAA. Um, and I, I guess there's like Swayman in terms of like go- rookie goalies. There is Swayman. There's Ladar, um, but there you know there is kind of like a looming thing with Swayman where he's um he's not like Tuka Rask could come in in January and it like uh just because they have Olmark on a contract and uh or for a long-term contract and Swayman is a rookie uh who is waiver exempt they could just move him to Providence once Tuka Rask is ready um so it would it would suck from that standpoint but uh, and but that would definitely hurt Jeremy Swayman's uh, odds and Spencer Knight uh, could also get there, but he hasn't looked so great. He has a 908 save percentage. Um, then other in terms of skaters though from rookies, there's uh, let me actually <laughs> I just moved away from that that page. Um, so you have Raymond who has 22 points in 25 games. You have Zegris who has 19 points in 23 games. He's just getting going. Michael Bunting has 17 points in 25 games. Dawson Mercer, who we talked a lot about, uh, 14 points in uh, 22 games. Uh, Jamie Drysdale has 13 points in 25 games. So, like, those got even, like, Anton Lindell, uh, 11 points in 22, 20 games. Bowen Byram, if he's ever healthy, has 9 points in 13 games. So, like, all those guys could compete... Um, to fill Mort Sider's spot, or I guess Nedeljkovic's spot, but uh, yeah, the question is: is like, could we see like all like a Raymond Sider Ned as the three Calder finalists? I would like to see it happen, and I mm-hmm. think there's a chance it could happen. I don't think it will, though, just because. Like, how do you leave Trevor Zegers out of yeah. that conversation? Right. Like, I think. Trevor Zegers, if he continues to play at the rate that he's playing, he's pretty much a lock. I also find it funny that Michael Bunting's even included right. in this rookie list. That's another like, one too. Imagine if if he's in the league for 15 years and he never plays in the amount of games needed in the season to classify right. as a rookie. It's like still a, 39 and he's still technically a rookie. It's like a Panarin all those years ago when he was a rookie. Um, <laughs> like he, I think Panarin was like 27 when he was uh, – it came into the league. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's funny. I, Sorry, I think, go on. <laughs> I think it would be in, an interesting storyline if Nadalkovich was in the conversation for the Bezina, though. 
Because I know in terms of like record, in terms of GA and save percentage, you could argue, you can make the argument that other goalie are more deserving of Nadalkovich, uh, even in the top three nomination, let alone winning the Bezna, uh, the Bezna. But he's 15th in the league in shots faced with 490. He's 8-3-3. Three, three. He's got a 920 save percentage on a team that sometimes will rely on goaltending alone to bail them out of hockey games. I yeah. definitely think uh, that can't be underestimated, especially when you consider so far this year, he's played in one, two, three, four, five, six games. Uh, six, uh, so let's see, six of his 16 appearances, 14 starts. Six of his 14 starts, he's faced at least 35 shots. And in those games, he is. Four one and one, and the one game where he gave up more than two, uh, more than three goals in that uh, stretch where he faced thirty five plus shots, he gave up seven goals. But that was in the opener to Tampa Bay in a seven to six overtime loss in which he faced forty eight shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All things considered, Nedeljkovic has been pretty consistent and the backbone, I would say, of this Red Wings defense. Um, so I'm interested to see where he stacks in the Vezina race. And I definitely, in, in terms of Cider and uh, Raymond, I definitely think they could be top three finalists for the Calder. I don't think Nadelkovich gets in just because of the other star-studded forwards or defensemen that you could put ahead of him. I'll say if Nadelkovich wins the the Vezina or is even a top three finalist, he's, uh, <laughs> I don't know how you would, uh, not make him a Calder trophy winner. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be funny if he wins the Vezina, but doesn't play the amount of games even, yeah. and he's still technically a rookie. Yeah. And he's so not he even. the Vezina before he wins the Calder. Yeah. He doesn't even, or he doesn't even win the, the Calder, even though the Vezina is like the more <laughs> prestigious award. Um, I mean, that, like, yeah. which is better, so, right? Yeah, I, I would rather have a Vesna than a Calder for sure. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, I so. Uh, so, I guess we'll do because we love doing predictions here. Uh, who are your three Calder finalists at the moment? Ooh. If like the season were to end today, who would be your three? And we'll we'll probably do. We'll probably revisit this oh, in terms yeah. of like, of course, in, yeah. in terms of. Uh, well, we, we never keep ourselves accountable to this because I'm sure. Yeah, we, we talk about I'm sure all things. our predictions have been terrible, but yeah, we never really yeah. go back. Yeah, like but, they, they don't mean anything, right? Right, right. Um, but but it is a good way to frame your our mindset just from as a hockey fan. Okay. Um. Hmm. I'll go. I'll go first to give you some time. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. You go first. I'll, uh, so yeah, Lucas Raymond, definitely, I think he wins it. Uh, Trevor Zegris, I think the run that he's had recently uh, has earned him a spot so far up there. Um, yeah, and I, I guess I would put Mort Sider um, as the third player, um, although I am tempted to put in Anton Lindell because he has been hot recently. And uh, Dawson Mercer has also been impressive to me in my mind as well. But, um, but yeah, I think I would put Sider in just because he has been uh, impressive as a defenseman in the league, whereas, like, Lundell and Mercer aren't defensemen. Yeah, I probably, honestly, I'm not even going to pick a winner. It's a coin flip between Raymond and Zegris for the winner of the Calder Trophy. Yep. I think Sider is definitely a top three finalist. Uh, if... He wasn't a top three finalist. It's probably because of Dawson Mercer. I think he's going to continue that uh, impressive pace and he'll get like around 40 to 50 points or something like that, yeah. which for a typical rookie standard, that's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. But like if, if Mort Sider keeps up this pace, then, you know, he could, I mean, speaking of, he could be like a North Trophy candidate. Yeah, well, it just just taking a look at his numbers, so um, 17 points in 25 games over a full 82-game pace, that's 55 points. Again, yeah. for a defenseman, like, that's ridiculous. It is crazy. All right, uh, so kind of a short episode for us, but that means it's an yeah. hour <laughs> uh, for us. Um, 
But that's that's gonna do it for us here at Lace Em Up. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes and wherever else you get your podcast on Spotify. Pocket Cast is my personal favorite. Um, yeah, that's about it. I'm I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellswood. We'll talk again in episode 298 of the Lace Em Up Podcast.